Second service, happy post-Thanksgiving. Yeah, some of you had like the worst Thanksgiving of your life because you couldn't be around family. Some of you in the other camp had the best Thanksgiving of your life because you couldn't be around family. Easy, the camera's on you. Don't admit which one you're a part of, right? So here's where we're headed today. I'd like to take just a moment. I've been eager for this opportunity, and I should say I'm very thankful for what Austin did and what Chandon did and bringing us truth and also giving me a much-needed break to be able to spend time with my wife, Cammie, out of town. It was an awesome, refreshing time. And uh, you just need to brace yourself because I've had roughly four weeks to plan this. So there's a chance this is going to be about a 45-minute talk today, all right? I've got a lot of stuff to get out. So here's what we're going to start talking about, and I think it's helpful for us to use this as some information that I believe will help us as a community as we move into, unfortunately, we can all acknowledge we've moved into a new phase of an already fatiguing pandemic. Am I right? Like it or not, things are going differently for us and we're having to engage in a different way. And I wanna share some information with you. The first is this to kind of pull us into the same sort of mindset. I believe that no matter where we are in our walk with God, whether followers of Jesus Christ or not, we all share this today in our current status. We are experiencing situational fatigue. We're so tired of the situation. No matter which opinion I'm getting about which side of the issue, here's a phrase that I hear in every appointment that I have. I am so over this. Anybody with me, second service? If you're joining us online, you're probably saying this in your living room as you're sitting in your jammies watching church. We're all a little jealous of you, right? But I wanna share something with you that I think will help us kind of get on the same ground as we approach where we're headed throughout the end of this year. I wanna pull a little bit from the Bible here because it's what I do when I need to make sure that I'm saying what I believe God has to say to our community and not what Ben has to say to our community. And that's a very important thing. I wanna read a few verses out of a letter that was written actually by a pastor to a community that he deeply loved. I'm borrowing his voice because I am a pastor in a community that I deeply love. In fact, I'm so in love with Vertical Church that I cannot even in my imagination picture myself being a pastor anywhere else. I love this community and everything that it stands for. And it's my honor to be able to sit in this little piece of timeline that I will be on to serve this community as its pastor. And I believe that these words are the exact words that I wanna convey to us today. You gearing up for church second service? We're gonna be here a minute. Yes? All right, here we go. Philippians chapter two, verses three and four says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And we can all collectively say, ouch, right? The Bible has the ability to do this for us, but don't allow that accountability to make you push back. Stay in the fight with these verses. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Notice the language of the Bible here doesn't say, listen, you shouldn't pay attention to your interest. That would be foolish teaching. You know why it would be foolish teaching? Because no one would follow it because no one can follow it. It is banked deep within us to preserve ourselves, to sustain life, to make sure that we look after our interests. That's why we get so passionate about those interests. The Bible says, look, it understands, we understand. God says, I understand. You are gonna look after your interests, maintain those, but also, two critical words, also look to the interests of other people. 
and then introduce that with a dose of humility. This is exactly what our church has tried to do over the past number of months since March. Can you believe we have only lived less than a year since March? That's situational fatigue. Listen, here's what I know about Vertical Church and it's why I can talk about this so openly without fear. I can talk about it because I understand that Vertical Church is now and has always been a community of people that are actually servants. We are a servant-based community and this passage out of Philippians is giving us only one of two choices. We can either be servants or we can be selfish. We're not a selfish people, are we Vertical Church? We don't amen, but we should start doing it, I think. We need it, don't we? We are not a group of selfish people. We are a group of servants. How do I know that? That I can prove it. Think about this for just a moment. Let me give you a stat. In the middle of a global pandemic, where the only other thing that's been more under attack than our health is our pocketbook, this church has cobbled together over $40,000 to give away during Hope Four. $40,000, that's worth applauding. Just let your mind kind of wrap around that number for just a moment and think about of all the things that we've been thinking about in our own pocketbook, of all the days that we had to stay home from work, of all the days that we had to think, is our job going to continue? And if it does, how will it continue? And what will I be compensated? Our church decided to say, you know what? The main way that we can communicate the love of Christ is with our hands and with our money, and we're going to do that. And why did we do that? Why was it so easy for us to raise over $40,000? I can tell you why because this church is a community of servants. When given the choice between being selfish and being a servant, we will choose to remain servants. Our heart and my heart as your pastor has been since March to help our community navigate the difficulty of this disruption as a godly people. And that's more difficult than it sounds, isn't it? Second service. Just so that you know the heart behind the decisions that have been made inside of Vertical Church, the first thing that you must understand is that no decision is made alone. I believe personally that is a recipe for disaster. If a pastor sitting in his office decides to make decisions in isolation, that is usually the demise of a church. The decisions that have rolled out to you, that have affected you, some of you in dramatic ways is how we're participating in community. They have not been made in isolation. They have been made with a group of people so that accountability could be present. And the things that are holding that group of people accountable really come down to two words. And I want you to know those two words. The first is boundaries. We are making decisions to put in place healthy boundaries. And that's hard. What is a healthy boundary? A healthy boundary is one that boundaries against unnecessary fear in our culture. If you were to tune in and pay attention, fear is now selling more than sex. And as a church, we do not wanna be peddlers of fear, but we must hold that in balance of the people who must necessarily be cautious with the virus that is for some deadly. We must hold those two things in balance and we must boundary against both sides, being reckless and being overly afraid. We cannot promise as a group of leaders inside of this church that we will make every decision right. Nobody could promise that. And if they do, they're lying. 
but we can promise that this will be one of our filters as we make decisions for this church moving ahead. We will be a boundaried people. Secondly, we will make decisions through the filter of binding. This means doing all that we can, both digitally and in person, to hold this community together. It is a goal of mine to make sure that this pandemic, although it has been very divisive, will not divide the church. A hundred years ago, if you were to ask one person, hey, what do you think the enemy will use finally to take down the church, especially in America? Do you think it will be pastors who lose their moral compass and sleep with those that work with them? Nah, it probably won't be that. The church will get over that. Do you think it'd be when a person, a pastor reaches his hand into the cookie jar and takes money and uses it for his own personal gain? No, the church will get past that. We'll just hire somebody else. The thing the enemy has been waiting to use to divide the church in the United States of America and perhaps all over the world is a thin sheet of paper that hooks on your ears and covers your face. It has been that easy. And in this place, we will acknowledge that. There is a danger in looking to our own interest. We will also look to the interest of others and understand where they are. We will enter into a dialogue, but the main thing that we will make sure of is that we will be bound together as a community. We may disagree, but we will disagree as a family. Anybody with me, second service? Because here's the goal. Do we know that masks stop the virus? Do we know that going to Thanksgiving or not going to Thanksgiving is gonna stop the virus? No, I don't know, but here's the thing that we're going to make sure of. We're gonna try everything humanly possible over this next season to bring as many people as humanly possible together to hear the freeing message of Jesus Christ when I believe that isolation and emotional illness is causing more havoc and more damage in our culture than the virus itself. And the healing message of Jesus Christ, everyone on this planet deserves to hear. And if I have to wear a mask and if I have to dress like a millennial, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Whatever we have to do, this is the heart of Philip Thurman. This is the heart of Greg Miller because it is the heart of God that if we can remove an obstacle to the people in our community hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will not just remove it, we will remove it gladly because the people who aren't here deserve just as much to hear this message as the people who are here, don't they, Vertical Church? It's my prayer as your pastor that as the days continue and as we look back on this experience that we have unfortunately had together, we will be able to say as a church, both in person and also digitally, we were able to leverage through the power of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, this pandemic, not as a divider, but as a binder. May God make it so inside of Vertical Church. This is our desire. We're gonna get there together. We're going to survive this. We're going to make it. You're going to make it. That's good news, isn't it? This year, through its controversial election and global pandemic, should really remind us of one thing. If you're a note taker, get prepared. We're about to take a lot of notes over the next couple of minutes. This year, 2020, should have reminded us or convinced us maybe for the first time, we are built for another kingdom. We're built for another kingdom. Even that language, it sounds a little bit like a fairy tale, like old world, like a bedtime story. What does that even mean, we're built for another kingdom? 
Here's what you need to understand from the Christian worldview. For those of us that believe God is God and Jesus is who he says he is, we can go back to the beginning and we understand that we were perfectly constructed for a perfect world. The sad truth about that is that none of us have experienced that perfect world. For those of us that are in relationship with Jesus, this other kingdom language doesn't sound old and archaic, it is life, and let me explain why. Because that ache that we had before we had met Jesus, deep down, that we tried to fill with anger, or we tried to fill with addiction, and it just wouldn't go away, is explained by the tenets of Christianity. You are not in a place that you were built for, and that is the ache. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ interrupted that and made things right for us in the right now and also in the coming age. We're not built for the kingdom that we're living in. Think about it this way. You were not designed to experience so many of the things that you experience on a daily basis. Just get engaged in this experiment. Think about the feelings and emotions that overtake you when you participate in binge watching any streaming service and the things that inundate your mind and your heart and how foreign in the beginning they actually feel. We were never designed to live in a world like this and our culture is winning because in some ways we're out of place. This is a big reason why people who believe in God and follow Jesus actually pray. Let me just rescue the spiritual discipline for you. It's not something that you need to do because God is gonna be upset with you if you don't. It's not something that you have to reserve in your life for those emergency situations where nothing else works. What it actually is is you living in a place that you weren't designed for, actually making a connection with the God who designed you for that different place and who exists there as well. Jesus reminded the people before he left, especially his close friends, I'm going to a different place and I'm getting it ready for you. The place that we're living in is not the place we were designed for, but when we pray, we can adopt the language and the dialect of that other kingdom for which we were built. And in that way, the language that we're using actually changes. Can I prove it to you, second service? Words like repent, move, intimacy, thank you, and can't, they mean something different in that other kingdom than they do in this kingdom. Let me prove it to you. Repent is a word we don't use very much, but it's a comprehensive remorse for what we have done and a true turning of direction to live differently. Move is not a call to more activity as we might think it is. No, we're asking God to supernaturally break in and move and do something about our current situation. Intimacy is not what happens after a night at the bar or a restaurant where we have meaningless sex with someone we just met. No, intimacy is opening up our heart to God and through that opening, truly knowing the heart of God. Thank you is not sarcasm or vindication. Thank you is just consuming gratitude. And the last one, the one that I've been using so much in my prayers lately, can't, is not establishing a boundary like I can't do that. It's admitting my limited ability like I can't do that and asking God to move and do something that I can't. 
Jesus, when asked to pray by his friends, how should we pray? They were looking for instruction. He actually taught them. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but actually it was the Lord teaching people how to pray. And Jesus said something like this. This is a combination of a couple of different times where he answered this question. You may recognize it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You have to say it very quickly, especially in the South. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is where people get real confused between debtors and trespasses and the family gets all messed up. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Did anybody just feel like you needed to slip out of your chair and just take a knee and get ready? Just, just me, no football players? Okay. From everywhere from laundry rooms to locker rooms, this prayer has been repeated. But I will say it's also been equally misunderstood. Leading into Christmas 2020, we're going to prepare our hearts together by digging into this prayer and the main themes of this prayer that Jesus gave us because he knew that we were going to need it. For those of you who are interested and follow along in version, it's been broken for a few weeks, but we have it fixed. You can pull it up even now by going to events and the daily reading that we have for this week actually addresses the comprehensive nature of this prayer. Praying this prayer is no small act. By the end of investigating this prayer, kingdom, power, and glory, I believe our hearts will be prepared, even in this year, as complicated and frustrating as it has been, if we investigate this prayer together, we will be ready to celebrate the supernatural inbreaking of Jesus Christ into history, an event that we now call Christmas. We're going to get ready for Christmas together. That sounds good, doesn't it, Vertical Church? Let me give you a big phrase, and it'll help us kind of make the turn today. I want to focus on these two words, your kingdom, your kingdom. If we were to stop and think about them for just a moment, we'll hear just how contra they are and maybe even offensive they are to the modern mind. With these two words, Jesus was showing us that we are meant to live in a kingdom that we were never meant to run. It is God's kingdom that we were designed for. But that's offensive, isn't it? Even for the best among us, because we like our kingdoms, don't we? Now, I'm not judging you through this next little part of this talk. I'm joining with you. I'm pulling up a seat at the table with you together. Don't you dare feel judged today. We all love our kingdoms, don't we, Vertical Church? In fact, I have a couple of rules for my kingdom. You want to hear them? They are solid rules. You can adopt them if you'd like. In my kingdom, I decide who wins and who loses. That's a great rule, isn't it? Here's how that works out. This usually means I win, you, you, you lose. Make sense? Unless I like you. Then you can win, but only sometimes. Are you taking notes? These are great rules for a personal kingdom. I decide who wins and I decide who loses. Another great rule to follow in your kingdom. In my kingdom, I decide where I live, what I eat, and who I eat with. Can I get an amen? This is what I mean. It means that I usually sit down and have meals with people that look like me, act like me, talk like me, have the same sense of humor as me, and basically find everything that I say really, really funny. I'm still recruiting for this kingdom. 
What I really mean is inside of my kingdom, I actually have an echo chamber that is immune to rebuttal. This is my kingdom. Maybe your kingdom sounds a little bit this way too. In my kingdom, I decide who gets my money, what they do with that money, and most importantly, how much money I get to keep. Anybody with me? I know already as an American, I'm one of the wealthiest people to have ever lived in history. And especially among people right now across the world, I'm firmly set because of this church actually, I'm firmly set in the middle class, but still the thing that makes me feel most like a king is my money. It's why I like for the pile to be larger than smaller. Anybody with me? Because when my pile of money gets smaller, I feel less like a king and I feel less like I have a kingdom. We all, we all have our kingdoms and we all have rules for our kingdoms, but there's two problems with having our own kingdom. And you saw this coming, didn't you? Second service, you're a smart group of people. Our kingdoms are terribly small and we're all terrible kings. This is the truth of the matter. No matter how much you spend time or money trying to expand your influence, when you look at it over the timeline of history, your kingdom is necessarily going to be very, very small. And you're not as good at running your kingdom as you think you are, especially as nostalgia might try to convince you that you are. We're all terrible kings and we have terribly small kingdoms. So what is the answer? What is the alternative today for each of us? Because I do believe that deep down, we don't really want to be in charge. What's the alternative vertical church? The alternative is God. That's it. There is no magic formula. There is no beautiful phrase. If we're searching for an alternative to how the world is set up and what kingdom we should be a part of, the alternative is not to make our own kingdoms more efficient or more wealthy or more liked. Anybody still with me? Our desire is to have a kingdom that is ruled by God. Let me just let the Bible start speaking, okay? The Bible puts it this way in Psalm 95, verse 3. For the Lord is a great God. Do you see it in the repetition? And... He is a great king. Isn't that beautiful, second service? See, that means that God is good both in person and in power, and there is nothing else in your life that you have experienced or will ever experience that can say that and be genuinely true. God is essentially good, and his rule is good. But sometimes... It doesn't feel that way, does it? With all this evidence, it's difficult still for us to want to be a part of God's kingdom because here's the truth. Many of us have experienced some difficult things in our lives. We've experienced cultural baggage that has pulled us away by convincing us things are true about God that just aren't true, but we believe them in part because some of us have received some baggage from the church. Am I stepping on any toes or can we just everybody join together? Sometimes the church hurts people, doesn't it? But even bigger than that, sometimes very famous Christians hurt people. We don't want to be a part of that kingdom. When we think about God's kingdom and his rule, we think things like stuffy and judgmental and angry and certainly no fun. 
Here's my proposal for you this morning as we're moving through this idea and we're about to get to the Bible and you guys are going to get some life like you've just never had it before. We don't want to live in the kingdom because we don't know what the king is like. Many of us, we don't want to be a part of the God thing. It's not all because of what we've experienced. We just don't know who God is. And we've received so many confusing messages. And today, we're going to cut through all of those messages. And we're going to discuss what is most essential. Don't miss me on this vertical church. We're going to discuss over the next five minutes what is most essential about the heart of God. We're going to learn together what the king is like. Are you ready? Let's let the Bible be our guide again. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5 read this way. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, not by earning it, by grace you have been saved. This is what the king is like, Vertical Church. He is rich in mercy. He is merciful. If he decided to be anything but merciful, he couldn't do it because it would be contrary to his character. So let's drive this in with a personal question, okay? Bow up on this and answer it as honestly as you possibly can. Where in your life do you need mercy? With the year that we have had, both independently and together? I have a thousand different answers to that question. Don't you? Here's how this works. If there are things in our story that we still need mercy over, it's a clear indicator that we don't have enough mercy to give to ourselves, much less other people, and be complete. See, this is being a part of the kingdom of God. We have a king in the kingdom where we live, those of us who know Jesus Christ, who is rich in mercy. This is a different message than many of us have been hearing for generations. So let me give you two verses as like handholds to climb up on this idea. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this. This is the words of God to us. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Man. Do I love that verse? You know why? Because it means we don't have to live the rest of our life hiding our weaknesses from each other. See how this works. When we hide our weaknesses, we also hide the power of God in our own stories. According to this verse, it is our weaknesses that fully activate the power of God over our stories. We call him the redeemer because he saves us from something. We can share our weaknesses with each other because we can trust the mercy of God. And we must develop the ability to be able to trust the mercy of each other. The emphasis here is on my grace, God says, is sufficient for you, not your grace is sufficient for you. That rings true, doesn't it? Second verse, Lamentations, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Two things in the world that never end. The pandemic. I'm kidding. Come on, catch up. Two things that never end. The love of God and the mercy of God. Those two things will be the markers of our community. 
His mercies are new every morning. Allow me just to digress for just a moment. There have been times, many since March, where I've had to trust this verse. Every single day has been a reset. As a leader inside of this church, one of the staff members, I feel that I have suffered death by a thousand cuts because everybody has their interest. And as soon as you leave an appointment having talked about your interest and somebody is coming in that same room to talk about their interest. And I've had to ask God for mercy over myself because there have been days where I've wanted to quit this job and do anything else because my well of mercy has run dry. You know what God has convinced me of over the past couple of days as I've studied this script, it's first for me before it's for you. My well of mercy can run dry because God's well of mercy never runs dry. His mercy is new for me every day. His mercy is new for you every day. The biblical author wasn't just trying to write a cute poem. He was getting across a truth about God. Every day leading through this pandemic has had to have been a reset. And you know that because every day living through this pandemic has had to be a reset. I ran across this quote on vacation in a book called Gentle and Lowly. Nowhere else in the Bible is God described as rich in anything. I checked it. That's true. The only thing he's called rich in is mercy. What does this mean? It means God is something other than what we naturally believe him to be. I love this phrase. Don't ever forget this phrase. He's a billionaire in the currency of mercy. And the withdrawals we make as we sin our way through life causes his fortune to grow greater and not less. Do you hear the good news in this vertical church? God's essence is mercy. If you wanna talk about with other people what God is rich in, it isn't judgment or rules, although those things happen. What God is rich in is mercy. What he loves to provide for his kids is mercy. So if you're here today and you're one of those kids that need it, I have good news for you. You will not send his account into overdraft. He's got plenty for you and plenty for me and plenty for us. That's good news, isn't it, second service? The trick about this is God loves us in a way that he doesn't force his kingdom on us. Miraculously, he gives us a choice. See, so much about the Christian life is actually pretty complicated. It's hard to figure out how we should live in particular situations. Not to talk for another day. But this part, this part of the Christian life is very easy. So easy, it's truly binary. And it comes down to this one question we're closing here. His kingdom or yours? This is a question that I've been asking myself for months now as we have tried to lead this church through some of the most trying times the world has seen recently. Is it his kingdom or yours? Let me just assure you that if this church is gonna survive and if this church is gonna thrive, it is not going to do it on the back of Ben Derrick. It is going to do it because of the blood and the power of Jesus Christ. Whatever decision we make moving forward will pass through the filters we mentioned earlier today. And we are going to try as best we can, collectively, as a community, to be a community that is citizens of the other kingdom, where the language sounds different and the rules are different, but most importantly, the mercy is never ending. This is the future 
of Vertical Church. This is the future of this community that we will strive to live as a people who can say honestly in our prayers, God, not our kingdom, but your kingdom. If you've never had that conversation with somebody, let me suggest that you do today, that you have a conversation with somebody about which kingdom you're actually a citizen of. I want you to pursue somebody that you know has been following Jesus and can have that conversation with you and give them the privilege to open the doors through the work of Jesus Christ for you to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. If mercy is what you want, God has an endless supply. Let's pray together. God, this morning, it has been such a comfort to be able to discuss this part of your character based on the words that you've revealed to us in the Bible, God, it is the most important part for us of who you are. For those of us in the room today who have been haunted by our past or are embarrassed by our present, could you help us receive that mercy? In the days ahead for this church, God, we humbly submit to your authority. We trust the accountability, not just of the leadership, but of each other. Help us, God, to be able to say, when all is said and done, that we held fast to you, which helped us hold fast to each other. Thank you, God, for this place. What a gift. Help us to steward it well in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you for your attention. Sorry I kept you a little long. We'll be back next week as we continue this series. See you then.